It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. The show goes on. It's the official show here on the Fish Stripes podcast channel. Eli Sussman here, the managing editor of Fish Stripes, coming at you with my episodes about twice a week. And as promised, oftentimes joined by guests. In this case, my staffers here at Fish Stripes, Daniel Rodriguez and Noah Berger. Uh, off the top of the show, I usually talk a little bit about things you can do to uh, support fish stripes, but I just put that together in an entire article that is pinned on the fishstripes.com homepage. It's called how you can support fish stripes in 2022. So that does a really concise job with all the hyperlinks you need about the free things and about the small investments that you can make to ensure that our site continues to grow, to do cool things, to cover the Miami Marlins quote every day in our own way. Go to fishstripes.com and do it better than ever regardless of whether the team is actually any good or not. But we think they're going to be relatively good. And uh, the whole like second half of the show is going to be talking about what could go right, what could go wrong, giving you kind of the entire range of outcomes that we think could happen for the Marlins here in uh, 2022. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Let me introduce the guys first. Noah, how are you doing? 
jumping in here kind of at the last minute. You want you had some takes, and we have a lot of topics for you to weigh in on. I'm doing all right. I'm interested to see some of the moves that have just been made, and I'm still waiting on a roster. Yeah, yeah, we're still waiting. We're recording this less than two days prior to the actual opening day game, and still we have a very good idea of who made the 28-man Marlins roster, but getting kind of itchy to get that confirmed. Daniel, sir, how's it going? It's going great. It's even it's going way better now after I saw that trade. I couldn't be happier. Baseball is approaching after the lockout. It's so great to have it back, and I'm ready to discuss it and hear all the DLC MVP talk from Noah. Yeah, we were, we were going to record this kind of regardless of the breaking news that broke mm-hmm. within half an hour of when we're talking. Alex Jackson, the Marlins' one, two, three, fourth string catcher, if I have that right, on the depth chart, there's Stallings, there's Peyton Henry, Nick Fortes, then Alex Jackson. I had counted that up in, in advance because if you follow I would have put drive, Joe Mac I would have put Joe Mack ahead of uh, ahead of Alex Jackson. Maybe Bennett Hostetler, the new yeah. converted catcher too. Paul McIntosh. Right. So quick backstory. Alex Jackson traded one for one for Adam Duvall at the deadline last year, pretty high up on the least popular moves of the Kim Eng era that have been made and almost immediately proved to be a bad move. He was at the inside track of making the Marlins opening day roster at the start of spring, but he didn't show anything during spring and got sent down to AAA. He had, I think by all accounts, actually reported to AAA Jacksonville. Like he was there for their opening night game. He was on the team, but he was taking, I, he was taking batting practice today in Jacksonville. Yeah. The news that put this on my radar came out just the day before on Tuesday because the Brewers backup catcher, Pedro Severino got uh, 80 game suspension for PEDs. At the last minute, the Brewers being a team that has competitive aspirations, I was feeling pretty sure that they would make a trade to address that. So I tweeted out, the Marlins have four catchers on their 40-man roster and need to make room for the non-roster invitees that we knew were going to get squeezed onto the roster. You can't like clog the roster with four catchers on it. They needed to address other positions. So I asked, is this the last shot to get something in return for Alex Jackson? Bingo. Last shot, and who they got in return, as announced early on here Wednesday evening. Infielder Hayden Cantrell and right-hander Alexis Ramirez from the Brewers. Both guys not on the 40-man roster, not particularly close to the big leagues. Uh, Daniel, have you been able to learn much of anything about these two guys since this news Um, broke? Yeah, I did learn a bit about Hayden since he is in the top 30 prospects of the Brewers, number 30 and which also doesn't say a lot because Brewers do not have one of the best systems in baseball. Um, it, it looks like he's more a, of a runner as he, he, you know, he really gets on base a lot. He had a three, six, eight uh, OBP and his ability to steal the base and how he had close to 30 steals in 90 games. And I think that's a plus um, for Miami. We have someone who could do something really well compared to Alex Jackson, who just really struck out a lot and wasn't really the best of catchers. Leading off, Hayden Cantrell. First time that he has swung a bat here in double-A, and the first pitch is grounded inside the right field line. That's going to be a fair ball, and he is off to the races. That ball pinballing around in the bullpen, and Cantrell not going to stop around second base. He is into third. That's a leadoff triple as he just put one on the ground, and that one hugging the chalk, it seemed like, the whole way. 
Um, I'm happy. I think Hayden could do pretty well. Maybe double A, put him there with the Blue Wahoos, see what yeah. he could do. Um, I don't expect him in the majors in any time this season or even next year. I think he's right. going to develop as a hitter. He had a, an average below 180, uh, but his OPS was close to 700. So if he could bump up that average to at least 220, I could see him as a 100 OPS guy. And then in a couple of years, I could see him on the bench, maybe as like a John Birdie type of role. Um, but especially, you know, maybe more pinch runners, because what Miami likes, have their own homegrown guy in Cantrell. And I, I like it. I don't know much about the other guy, the pitcher, but I do like Hayden. I think he, he could be good if he could hit just a bit. I do like the comparison with uh, with John Birdie, but add on uh, layer on to that the fact that Hayden is a switch hitter, which yes. the Marlins don't have many of yes. in their system at all. I think we have maybe like two other than him off the top of my head. Well, Jose Salas, one of their top prospects, he's a switch hitter. And what on the major league team, I thought coming into camp that Roman Quinn would might actually sneak onto the roster mainly because he was a switch hitter and that didn't happen even. And I'm happy he didn't. Yes. I think a lot of us are relieved about that. They that didn't get in. Yes. Yeah, so Cantrell, to be clear, he was a 2020 draft pick. There's no minor league season that year. So last year was his very first minor league season. Just an, an crazy stat line to have an on-base percentage that has more than doubled your batting average over like a big sample too. He played <laughs> in most of the games that you just don't see that. So there has to be some bad luck involved or maybe some good luck on just facing pitchers that couldn't find the strike zone. The fact that he just walked as much as he did in a really insanely high walk rate and a little bit more on uh, Ramirez. So he's a right-handed pitcher. This is going to be his age 22 season, originally from the Dominican Republic. And he has not pitched since 2019. So for whatever reason, I'll have to find out exactly why he did not pitch at all last year in the Brewers organization. He's uh, listed at six, two. His only experience was in rookie ball. He pitched in rookie ball in the DR and then, over in Arizona in 2018 and 2019 hasn't pinched since he's not acknowledged on anybody's top prospects list. So he's the secondary piece here. The surprise is that they were able to get two players at all of any like caliber in exchange for Jackson, for, for Alex Jackson, who has not been able to hit whatsoever in the big leagues, who's like an all right defensive catcher, but somebody that he, despite that is like really hard to justify playing any considerable amount of time uh, in the big leagues, even if um, even for a team as desperate as the Brewers are at this particular moment. Yeah. So last year, Alex Ramirez was on the injured list all of last year, just the, the epitome of a lottery ticket and seemingly not even like that high of a ceiling of a lottery ticket. Again, if you followed fist stripes, you saw this coming. It was the exact trade that I pointed out about the, the Brewers and the Marlins. A trade that comes just at the last minute. Doesn't alter any of the plans with their opening day roster. Still very interesting. And um, that completes the full circle. Trading Adam Duvall to get Jackson. Jackson performing below replacement level when he was on the field for the Marlins. And then flipping him for uh, these two guys. One of which maybe reaches the big leagues in a few years. Just, yeah, one last word for me on the John Birdie comp. John Birdie didn't reach the big leagues until his late 20s, until he yeah. was released by his original organization. So if that's, like, the best possible outcome, there's a good chance that Hayden doesn't even reach that outcome with the Marlins.
just putting it out there. I just think him getting on base is going to help him so much. And you mentioned the steals, almost 30 steals. If double that or you can even get 30 in the majors, that's great. I think I think you can do pretty good. I don't know if it'd be the late 20s, but I'll give him at least maybe two years. What you said before, I think, is right, that he's probably going to go to double-A Pensacola. Either that, it could be that, or it could be to high-A Beloit. But he performed decently at Beloit, yeah. despite at high-A last year, despite the low batting average. So probably just double-A depth. So goodbye to uh, the Alex Jackson era that lasts from, what, July 30th? 2021 to April 6th, 2022. Uh, getting back just to opening day, we're recording this right before the Marlins team plane lands in San Francisco. Uh, everything is on schedule at that, arriving at 9 p.m. Eastern time, 6 p.m. Pacific. Then on Thursday, when most of you will be listening to this podcast, they have a team workout at Oracle Park. Remember, it's called Oracle Park now. It was AT&T Park for Oh, so many years, but now Oracle Park. So that begins at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. local. They also have like a media availability prior to that. So we're going to get some spicy quotes from Sandy and from Don Mattingly, and we'll get some clips of them taking batting practice at the park. Then on Friday, that's the big day that everybody's been waiting for as Daniel rejoins us. Friday is Fish Stripes Live, countdowns to opening day. We're going to start that stream up at around 3 p.m. Eastern time, going all the way to first pitch, right around 4.30. Uh, for people that haven't seen it, I'm inviting you guys to come on the show and give us a variety of predictions about the 2022 Marlins season. Daniel is going to be hosting that Fish Stripes Live stream, as he's been doing very capably the last few weeks as well. He's got a great fit for that, great presentation style. So we look forward to a lot of people joining us, both watching along and hopping on the stream as guests throughout that show. First pitch at 4.35 Eastern, 1.35 Pacific in San Francisco. Somewhere in between that, we hope to get the official opening day roster announcement. They Remember are really- Fist Live, L-O-U-P-E, oh we are presented by Loop. Let me, let me play that <laughs> clip for people because I think I have it loaded up in here. L-O-U-P-E, Luke. <laughs> how, about, how about the camera work on that one? Yeah, that, that reminds me. So we recorded that at the ballpark on Monday when it happens to be you two guys went together to that Dine on the Diamond taste testing event. Oh, Is there yeah. anything else you want to add about that um, aside from what you've already shared? The, on Twitter and elsewhere about what that was like and what people can expect. The, the, the new layout of the dugout club, which is now called the PNC club. It's a re they, it's a really cool layout and you can see straight into the ballpark from the moment you walk in uh, and up the stairs and into the club. From the moment you walk in there, you already have a clear sight line at, at, of, to the, to the ball field, not a full one, like the concourse, but you already have that kind of tunnel like vision out to the field, which I kind of liked. And the new lighting that they have in the ballpark yes, is really that. nice. The It's instant on and off, which is great. So there won't be any sort of lighting delays. And also the color, the, the different colored lights. It's going to be really cool to see. Hopefully we see a lot of, uh, uh, hopefully we see it after a lot of home runs. <laughs> the food looks great. I, I was a big fan of it. I had to try it. No, with my camera, but it looked delicious. Everything was delicious. Um, 
for me, my recommendation of the glazed mandulos, they were really great. We had bacon bits. Um, the sachipapa was great. The potato twists. Uh, some of the drinks, I recommend the mango margarita. But it all looked great. I don't think – if there was a ranking for food, Miami is definitely top five after today. So if they're top five in anything, it's going to be food. At least we're top five in something. Very good. So that we again thank the Marlins for inviting us to that. I was yes. not actually expecting an invite to that, and that was that was very cool that they were able to let both of you in at the same time. That that's something that we're dealing with this upcoming season, pushing the limits of how many credentials we could get for various events at the same time. Our goal is to have ten guys in the press box by the end of the season. <laughs> yeah, one step at a time. <laughs> Before we get into the big picture 2022 season stuff, uh, just finishing up on the breaking recent news about stuff, two recent Marlins legends, maybe that's pushing it, retired uh, in recent days. So first it was Jorge Cantu, who you guys probably assumed had already retired because he hadn't played in the majors in almost a decade, but he had a very long career in the Mexican League in for a long time, leading up until now. He's now in his early 40s, finally hanging up his cleats. After all that, and more recently here on Wednesday, A.J. Ramos, he just re-injured his shoulder for like the gazillionth time. He had been with the Angels, I think, right before that happened. Um, and instead of rehabbing from it, he's now what, 35, 36 years old. And he decided to hang it up as well. A guy who had actually been an all-star for the Marlins that one year, pitching a lot of high leverage innings. I asked Nico when he came in and said, hey, man, did you bring some wins? And he was like, yeah. I was like, what about saves? He goes, well, I don't know. I was like, just bring your wins. I don't care, man. I just want to win. I don't care how it is, how many runs we score. You know, I just want to win. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a big win, and hopefully it gets us rolling again and gets us back on track. we got the Astros coming in. They're, they're a hot team right now. So, it's a, you know, it's not going to get easy for us. we got to go out there and keep, uh, keep on playing. Either those two guys, Daniel, that you have particular memories about. I remember Ramos that – that, that season when he was an all-star, he was really one of the bright spots, or maybe the bright spot on that bullpen. Um, yeah, he, he was just really great. And, and mentioning Ramos, he was also part earlier this season in the lockout, the lockout meetings, if, if I remember. So he he was really into it for the play. Um, sad to see him get injured and, and, and now retiring, but he, he was a great player for us. Um, I, I really liked him after that c era. I believe he was just really great for us. And and for Hoy Cantu, uh, I want to do a quick shout out to John John Rodriguez. He's I think the biggest fan of Jorge Cantu. Um, I'm a little surprised because he hasn't played for us for I believe now more than a decade. Uh, but he also did another guy who had a great career. Uh, you know, his second year he had close to 30 home runs. Uh, really bright spot for some of those floundering teams in the middle of the 2000s. Uh, but I remember them finally. Um, I was a little too young for Jorge Cantu. I believe 05. I was probably like seven years old. But looking at the clips and everything, legend. Marlon's legend. We'll forget. And then Ramos, most recently. Um, I think it'll be remembered as uh, a, good a good closer for Miami. Maybe not one of the best, but definitely a good closer for Miami. Um, with Jorge Cantu, I was five years old and he last played for the Marlins, so I don't really remember <laughs> any of what he did. That's an exaggeration. Um, I think Daniel gave out the wrong year on that. Cantu was with the Marlins 2008, 2009, 2010. 2008, so I was 8, 9, and 10. Yes. Um, the old year. Okay. I was, yeah, still 11, 10 year old. 
I still don't remember much from those years. Um, with AJ Ramos, wasn't it nice having a reliable closer? It's something we haven't had in a while, and I'd like to have one again. Just for that brief, well, yeah, it was really parts of three seasons where he was the full-time closer for the team. And all things considered, it, it's hard for fans to have fond memories of relievers because the way that they're used these days is the good ones are always put in with a lead. So when they get their job done, it just means holding the lead. Whereas, of course, you disproportionately remember the bad times because that means they really screwed up if they made it all the way to the final innings. (laughs) Heath Bell being the most extreme example. But even even Ramos is somebody that I guess the term would be he catches a lot of – what's that phrase people use? People are cruel to relievers is what I'm saying. Catches a lot of heat. Black. Yeah. yeah, just despite having what was a pretty good career, and especially for like what he was entering pro ball, he was a 21st round draft pick of the Marlins as a like super senior too, where he was he was a virtual non prospect, and he still made it to the big leagues pretty quick, and once he made it to the big leagues, almost instantly, an above average reliever who peaked as as a legit all star for for the team. With him, I know he is really popular in the clubhouse as well. So, best wishes to uh, to AJ. I think he's going to have a really cool second act, still being around oh, yeah. baseball itself, even if it's not playing. I, I would not be shocked if he ends up being a, a some sort of coach in some sort of coaching capacity on coach any or... team in major. major I could see him on. Would definitely now. not shock me if he comes back to Miami to do it. But I don't. There's a there's not a lot of room in the coaching staff apparently. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm sure he'll fight, figure out next steps pretty soon. Again, with him, it was all really sudden. This is just based on his shoulder giving out again and finally making the call of you know rehab versus just moving on, and he decided to uh, move on. Sometimes the universe just put you in that direction. A, a couple final news nuggets to touch on. One of them that Noah brought up about John Curtis signing with the Mets, one of those really creative deals that he's coming off Tommy John surgery. Speaking of the last time the Marlins made a trade with the Brewers, as soon as he got traded and they got Peyton Henry in return. Um, you got a catcher for a catcher. Hey. Yeah, yeah. Curtis blew out his elbow. He was no longer with the Brewers just because he was out for this entire year. Apparently his rehab is going well enough that the Mets were willing to give him a, what is a what two-year deal? Or is it a club option on the second it's a, year? It's, it's a major a, deal. It's a one-year deal with a club option on the second that right. they have to notify him six days before the world series starts or something like that. I just got way too detailed to end that with and something like, or something like that. Yeah. For people with short memories, Curtis was great for the Marlins. He was awesome during his mm-hmm. four months here and then got traded. So if he gets back to that form, he's somebody that is worth several million dollars a year pretty easily. So the Mets are mm-hmm. taking a flyer on that. Also with the Mets, an unrelated move. Jordan, actually kind of a related move to open up a spot on the roster temporarily. They had to designate for assignment Jordan Yamamoto, who was slated to open their year in, in AAA Syracuse. He barely played at all for the Mets last year because he was hurt most of the last season. One of the only games he pitched last year was against the Marlins, and that didn't go so well for him. I got, I got jumped on on Twitter when I suggested <laughs> yeah, that it'd be all right. Yeah, if Yamamoto came back, not getting claimed. He's going to clear waivers. He's going to become a free agent just on a minor league deal to give them triple a depth. 
what happened was Craig Mish like jumped in there with a sarcastic reply and everybody has group think they love Mish. So when he <laughs> makes a joke about it, all of a sudden they, they are like, they fall in line with it. in the dogs. So we'll, we'll, that will take some time to see how that plays out because I imagine he's going to sign with some organization. He's not even 26 years old yet. And if you actually look at the Marlins AAA Jacksonville pitching staff right now, I mean, you can point to a lot of guys that don't have as much like potential as he does. So that, that was just my take on it. I, I don't really see a amount fitting uh, AAA, but weirder things have happened. Right. It cuts both ways because if he's a free agent, because one, he's probably unhappy with how his tenure ended with him being held out to dry in that 29 to nine game. It was so it cuts both ways, I guess that if he has comparable offers, yeah, if he has comparable offers from a couple different teams, he'd be certainly more likely to choose a non Marlins team with that. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. That's going to bring us to what I thought was going to be the main focus of the pod anyway. Just an overview about this 2022 Marlins season. Most of the major projection systems are in line about this team. They think it is a 500-ish team. Fangraphs has them at 82 and 80. Uh, ATC projections have them at 81 and 81. Baseball prospectus. I think it's just a tad below 500 right now using their Pocota projections, like 80 and 82. This will be the first time in however many years. Let me just double check to make sure I have I this. Right. Since 2009? Since 2009 that they've won 80 games. It's 2010 they won 80. So if they actually finished at 500, it would indeed be the first time since 09. In this new universe, finishing at 500, depending on how other things go, that might actually get you into the playoffs. People need to like adjust to that because yeah, it is a very playoffs. it's a very foreign concept that a 500 team over a full length season without any of the 2020 gimmicks could actually get into the playoffs and it is a possibility if things do fall right about them and I think people should actually even as much as there was some stuff left to be desired about their off season the fact that they actually resulted with this team that is like not perfect, but just relatively well-balanced. That's a huge step in the right direction, isn't it, Daniel? I think um, looking at this team, I think maybe just different scenarios, but I don't think if you look at the worst ones, they're going to be a 100-loss team. I don't think this is a 100-loss team at worst, or even maybe a 90-loss a team also at worst. I could see them maybe at worst big 75 wins 
um, around that way. But if we're just talking our expectations, not worst, not best case scenario, I do see us as a, a 500 team, especially maybe 81, 81. I really do like that prediction of 82 and 80. I do think the Marlins break the streak and, and go for 80 games this year and finish 500. Um, I don't think they're going to be over 10 games, five games, 500. I could see them 83 and 79, 82 and 80 in that range. And then best case, worst case scenarios. Worst case, I could see them with 75 wins as maybe worst case scenario. They're not getting 60 wins, low 70s. And then best case, I could see them with 89. I get, I don't see them 90 wins. They're not a 91 team by any means. But I could see them anywhere from maybe 87 to 89, especially. And getting maybe one of those last two wild cards. They could win the division, but that's going to be a miracle. And maybe something could happen. Sandy, you know, has a Cy Young type season. Um, division's probably out of their reach, but I could see him maybe get second or even third. And third might be good enough to get a wild card spot this year. Just to give some names of the guys who've been acquired since we, we last played baseball Lewis Head, as people remember, the first major transaction of the offseason trading for Lewis Head. Head. Signing Avisail Garcia, trading for Jacob Stallings, trading for Joey Wendell, signing Jorge Soler, and most recently trading for Cole Solcer and Tanner Scott. That's not a complete list, but those are the the prominent guys I think that we're picking from here. Noah, uh, when if you had to pick one of those players who you think is going to have the biggest impact on this 2022 season, who would you lean towards? It's a toss-up for me between three guys it, i think jacob stallings back being a being a consistent consistently good backstop is something this team really needed we need someone that can actually play at the catcher position and i think that's really going to help the pitching staff joey wendell is good just at period end of story he's good he he can play a, multiple positions and he can hit and Jorge Soler. He's just going to destroy the ball. I don't know if he can play in the field very well, but he can destroy the ball. I think overall, Joey Wendell is going to have the the bigger impact on both sides. Because he's a great fielder and a great hitter. The other two only are, their impact is mostly one-sided. Although Jacob Stallings is a pretty decent hitter. His, he's a, def, he's a def, defense first catcher. Where do you fall on that, Daniel? Maybe you could be more declarative than Noah was and actually pick one guy. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to pick three guys. Um, mine is plain and simple. I think Jacob Stallings. Catch position has been a moot point for the Marlins for years um, without a foil trade. And, and even before that, um, since JT, um, I, I think when you have a really great catcher, it really helps the other positions as in the pitcher. I think Sandy's going to, improved from this i think pablo eliezer trevor i think all these guys even some of the bullpen guys are gonna really improve because jacob really great defensively i if they were doing a little predictions i think he's gonna win gold glove with miami this year i think he's gonna do that well for the marlins um defensively and helping um the position the the pitchers um hitting wise um he's not a guy who's gonna give you 330 home runs he's not a hitting type catcher but I could see him hitting maybe anywhere at most, maybe 240, 230 um, home runs, double digits, but not exceeding 20. 
Um, I could see Jacob Stallings. Um, I think that's the biggest piece that we got from this offseason. He's going to help us tremendously. I think it's really great that we finally have a catcher that we can stick there and, and leave him there to play almost every game, 155, 160 games or or, or what, and not have a catcher in left field playing a different position for who knows what, have our catcher for there for the future. I love the Jacob Stallings offseason move. I will also say um, it's not just having a starting catcher. We've improved even the backup catcher position. Peyton Henry is going to be pr- – I, I, I trust him behind the plate more than any other catcher we've had in the last two seasons. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I think the catcher position is, is a solid position now for the Marlins. It's going to make a humongous difference for the pitching staff and – and on the defensive side, and both of them can, can are decent hitters. Yeah, what you said right there is not even an overstatement about the catcher position being as solid. Fangraphs did this entire positional power ranking series, went through all the positions, including starting pitcher in the bullpen, and in their eyes, they think that the Marlins have the biggest advantage at catcher. That is the one like top 10 position group that they have baffling to me almost all because of stallings i would just uh, he's not my pick though he's a good pick my pick would actually be joey wendell and most of it just comes down to comparing him to isan diaz that's the role that he is that's the that's main a guy low bar to clear that he is replacing this was one of the biggest weaknesses of the marlins last year in my opinion it, catcher was probably at the top of the list right near there was just their infield depth you know as soon as first it was B.A. that got hurt, and then it was Jazz, and then short after that it was Miggy Rowe, and there may have been a time where like all three of them were And then Birdie got hurt. Times. Even Birdie got hurt. Birdie is still here, and I, I think I said this at the time of the trade of Wendell, that Wendell is replacing Eason. He's that guy that he's on the roster. People, uh, It's painful when you look back on how much of the season Eason was with the big league team last year. Most of the year. Most of the year he was on the team playing second true? base, or playing third base. How many games did he play last year? You're going to be stunned by this. He played in 89 games last year for the Marlins. What? 89. That's, jeez. And he was, as people know, we don't have to make this an Eason segment. So he was bad, but that was a huge weakness of the team because they were getting below replacement level production from that. And now they have a guy that has the same versatility as Isan. He actually has more versatility because he's a competent shortstop as well. We'll see exactly how they use him from the start of the season. It seems like he, based on what Mattingly says, he's the primary third baseman, not B.A. It's Wendell is the main third baseman for most of their games. I've said that I think his like best role would be kind of platooning with Miggy Rowe at shortstop and be the main shortstop. And we'll see whether they actually get to that decision as the season goes on. But you can play those valuable infield positions. He's an above average hitter um, coming off great spring training. I'm not going to mention spring training stats, but he did look great in spring training coming off an all-star year coming off an all-star year. Let's if he could sustain what he did early last season for an entire season, like that's when he was at another level. If you look at his whole numbers, like he was on fire for the first couple months of last season. If there's any way for him to sustain that, then he's going to be a better player than he's ever been before. So just to go on that, because they have like durability concerns at those other infield positions, and instead of falling back on 
really bargain bin type of players in their infield. It wasn't just Isan. You know, some of the other guys that were next up behind him Jose weren't Devers. really much better. And Jose, yeah, Jose Devers is somebody that I still believe in, but he's coming off an injury himself and he's still he's really still young and roster? he's still on the 40 man roster. We'll see him as the year goes on for the start of the season. It would not have been correct to rely on him. So they made this move that I love it. I do love what Joey Wendell brings and how he fits onto this team. From there, I guess we'll just talk more generally. And Daniel kind of tipped his hand about <laughs> what he sees as the scenarios for this team. Uh, but the big thing is how you see the floor being a lot higher that you think they'll, yeah. they're like in the mid seventies, even if things go wrong. And we did the same podcast, you and me last year talking about how they could lose a hundred games. If things went wrong, they almost did lose a hundred games because a lot went wrong for them last year with Noah. I know you sometimes have difficulty being uh, objective some being of these, reasonable. Being reasonable. I have a problem being reasonable. Is that what you're trying yeah, to say? He has this 112 it's totally true, games so. in the division. Do, but doing your best, what what do you think a realistic best-case scenario looks like for this team, not just in terms of wins, but like parts of the team that could – what they could achieve I in think raising this barring team any barring anything extraordinary, I think that the ceiling for this team – Again, barring anything extraordinary, because extraordinary, I have him at 96. But barring anything extraordinary, they're going to be around 85, 86, I think, is a realistic ceiling for this team. Best case scenario, if everything goes 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 above average right. Um, below average right, below average wrong, I'd say they can go... As as low as about seventy five, anything lower than that is a complete collapse, and is a is something. A lot of players had to get injured, and something had to go wrong, and that would be really a disappointing, really really disappointing season. The the point that I seem to disagree with you guys is like how bad it could get this year. Yeah. It could get. We could not win a single game. <laughs> That's not what Yay. I meant. Not what I meant. Just looking, this division is still really, really deep. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the Nationals being the one team that I think most people objectively believe is worse than the Marlins, but those other three all doing a whole lot of work to either sustain the teams they had last year or make themselves better. I think it seemed like even as unlucky as the Mets are always seeming to be they their team. They spent a million dollars and they're still not going to get their top two starting pitchers healthy. I think all things considered, once the other injuries catch up to the rest of the teams, including the Marlins, that it won't look quite as tragic as it does now. They're one team that I think is clearly improved in the division. The Phillies made some curious moves that I don't know if that all fits together. I don't know if the whole is actually as good as the individual parts, but we'll see what the investment that they made. And the Braves kind of more so just treaded water, but also did some things that I kind of liked as well. Um, to I think their pitching staff is going to be pretty awesome. Even though their offense is one, Kenley, um, yeah, getting Olson, which some people might say is an upgrade from Freddie in terms of long term. Just long term, that's it's the Braves, no? Yeah, Kenley. Wait, Kenley went to the Braves. Yes, I thought he went to the Phillies. One year, Phillies, 16, Phillies got Corey Kniebel to be their. That's closer. the one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What I was saying is that 
there is a scenario scenario to me where their record looks pretty similar to last year. I think it won't be as bad, but I mean like the low 70s in this division, entering a season where they're spending about $85 million in payroll. They spent a lot more, invested a lot more in this team than they did the previous, what, three years. But if they get deep into the year and they are like really deep in fourth, or even in fifth, which is a possibility, if they're like double digit games under 500 because their their hitters don't get on base enough because their bullpen is just as bad as last year or just as unlucky as last year or both. I think those are still concerns that despite some of the moves they did make to the bullpen and the lineup, that those still are not perfect units. Those are still with the, as I said, with the offense, it's about getting on base and also some base running once they get on there. It's not a particularly athletic team and in the bullpen it's guys that just don't miss a ton of bats and those who do miss bats like tanner scott they just got it's a question of whether he can even throw strikes in the first place that those are still limitations on the team and they're playing a lot of games against strong competition in the division like i feel like there is a scenario where they get deep into the year and they are sellers again where they find or they're kind of like straddling the line Not instead again. of making clear upgrades. If they're spent a lot of money on this team and they don't, and they get deep into the year and don't like see it as a team that can really go anywhere in the playoffs or like really even make the playoffs, then they're not going to like get desperate and continue adding more payroll. I don't think down the stretch, that's always a big question mark here. Like that's the reason why they were as bad as they were last year is because they waved the white flag. They, they were much better talent-wise. publicly wave it, but they waved it. Yeah, their messaging and their actions are always very different, and that's something that is, I would yeah. suggest that Kim Eng considers that strategy, of trying to be not, rather than expecting people to, like, just listen to what you say, actually make them align uh, all the way down for better or for worse. The trade deadline is going to be a big differentiator in the worst-case scenario. Like whether they get really creative in in that aspect, or whether they reach a point where they kind of punt on the year, so that's what could bring them down a little bit further. But I think my realistic best case scenario is pretty close to you guys, if not a little bit higher. Like I just see a lot of similarities to the Brewers of last year. They won ninety five games. They won the NL Central. Uh, the quality of competition in the East is a lot harder. So I don't think. There's any scenario where Marlins get to that number of wins, but is there one where they actually win the division with like 90 ish? You know, if the Mets really do struggle with these injuries, if the Phillies did not put these pieces together, that really makes sense. If the Bru- if the Braves don't get back the Ronald Acuna Jr. that they think they're getting back, right. and with some other questions about them, uh, if Matt Olson underperforms in the first year of a big contract, there, there are some limitations to them. Who, on a, who, who the Braves have for a start for a rotation? Well, they have a good top end of the rotation. Yeah. They have Charlie, Charlie Morton. He's back. Freed. That's Max one Freed. game every five days. That's two games every five days that you have a chance to win. Going down the line, Ian Anderson, who has performed yeah. really well, even though yeah. people can't seem to figure him out. And Huascar Inoa was he's great. Though. Yeah. He's, he's kind of, um, he's volatile for sure. Like that could go in a couple different directions. I think he's 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 their equivalent of Jesus Lazardo for us. Could go many different directions. 
They're also relying on Marcelo Zuna to like all of a sudden is, come is back. Suspended. He has served his suspension already uh-huh. from last year. Well, really, my extraordinary my, so my extraordinary nice. ceiling for this team is, of course, Brian De La Cruz hitting 30 home runs. It, I, I waited 42 minutes to get that in. Here we go. The DLC talk. Uh, as long as – if your fourth outfielder is playing well, you got a good team. Right. Just to elaborate on the best-case scenario, uh, it's Sandy taking another step forward, and he does get better every single year. It astonishes yeah. me the way they does it. And I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing exactly what that is. We know Jesus Lazardo, not just in the Marlins community, but across the baseball analysis tier. Like people love Lazardo's potential to all of a sudden. He's turning break heads. Out. He's definitely turning heads right now. Yes. I'm still a little Lewis skeptical. <laughs> not Lewis Head. Oh, okay. But maybe maybe Lewis Head just replicates what he did last year, even if he's in the big yeah. leagues the whole time. Again, bullpens are the trickiest things to predict, and I don't think we could rule out like this suddenly being a good bullpen. All of a sudden, it's Anthony it, Basket finally learned how to throw his splitter correctly and enough. Yeah, yeah. Jorge Soler can continue doing what he did the last few months of last year. He's a really Soler tricky guy to project because of yeah. how poor he was the first half of 2021 versus what he was further down the stretch. Completely um, different player when he got traded to the Braves. I think yeah. he had under. 200 average with the Royals, and then he had like 270 with the Braves. We get that 270 guy. I think Marlins are in good form this year. Yeah, and I mean, the last guy I got to highlight is Jazz Chisholm Jr. Everybody's uh, face of the franchise. Face, yeah. I have an article about that, about exactly where he is on that on that spectrum of face in the franchise ness. But he has a lot of the qualities you want. And he was on that trajectory early last year before his first injury. Um, he's just fascinating potential. Like one of the big things that held him back last year is he was just strangely bad at defense, especially when they put him at shortstop. But everything about his history suggests that should not be the case. I, I feel like, and also the strikeouts. The, and the, the, yeah, the, no, there the, was the, the 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 looking strikeouts where he was frustrated with the umpire and gave up on an gave up on an at bat. That that's one thing that that worries me going into the season with Jazz. Hopefully, he doesn't let his emotions get ahead of him. Yeah, but it, it would be interesting to see. Yes, he, he's one of the guys on this team, perhaps more so than any of the other hitters, that you, you feel really does have potential to be one of the better players at his position, to be an elite player, somewhere between that All Star and MVP tier like really just an elite position player that they have not had. That's one reason why I feel like the Marlins have been difficult to market themselves uh, during this entire rebuild. It's because they have boring hitters, boring and bad hitters that they haven't been able to develop themselves that they haven't really been able to identify in trades until they finally have somebody in jazz who has that potential. And Brian Dela Cruz. And DLC, of course. Of course. So yeah, we're all we're all happy that he seems to be on the roster. We're recording this before it's official. He was on, he was on the plane. He, he he was he got on the plane with the team. We'll get more into our specific like predictions on the Friday stream again. Daniel will be hosting. I'll be producing. Noah is Noah. Will, you'll be there, Noah. I should the be there. I should well. be there. It's before the Sabbath. Yeah, of course. Everybody listening to here will be there as well on YouTube, Twitter, or Facebook. Uh, looking forward to that as and well. On Twitch. I, I took it off of Twitch. Um, we weren't getting much traction there, and we already have a big audience on Facebook. Huh? But um, again, I'll go back to what I said at the beginning of the show. I put together an article 
about how you can help Fistripes this year. And the main way that you can do so is by providing feedback about what we are doing, what we should be doing. And if you feel that Twitch is a platform that we should really be focusing on building, just let us know. And I will uh, flip the switch on that so we make our streams available there as well. Right. Anyway, so, so I, I think this team will win the division. I think they can finish last in the division. And I think, uh, yeah, in between, finishing 500 is what feels right. As we like lead up to actual opening day itself, we'll put our predictions out. And it's really just hard to like deviate more than a few games from the 500 mark because that does seem to be the kind of team that they put together. And that would be a pretty significant improvement from where they were last year. As you guys listen to this, just let us know your best case and worst case scenario. If everything goes right, if everything goes wrong, uh, we're excited to uh, hear that, to go through it, to have a team that, thanks to the expanded playoffs, should almost certainly be relevant all season long. We'll be here all season long, and I'll be here on this podcast with the official show a couple of times a week, all season long. So Eli Sussman, Noah Berger, Daniel Rodriguez on the official show. Fish Stripes Podcast. We appreciate the support. As always, go fish. Go fish.